Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Sports Medicine Broadcast. My name is Mark Knobloch. I'm here with Dr. Kathy Wynn. Today's topic is skin with Kathy Wynn. So uh, our guest today is Kathy Wynn from Memorial Hermann. I'd like to uh, give her a minute to introduce herself and tell us a little about your background. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me here. Um, so basically, I am a primary care sports medicine physician trained with family medicine initially and then fellowship trained with sports medicine. I went to school at the University of Texas at Austin and then medical school at UTMB in Galveston. Um, did my background in nutritional sciences out in Austin and then did all of my training with UT um, here and Memorial Hermann here in Houston, Texas. Um, I'm a team physician for multiple high schools, also help out with some colleges in Houston, and then also am the team physician for the Houston Dash soccer team. So we won't mention anything about Longhorns. Um, I'm not uh, a Longhorn. I am a Cougar by uh, a graduate degree, but we won't, we won't hold anything against anybody for that reason. So I uh, attended your talk. I thought it was excellent. I always joke Thank with you. people in the past. I said, there's, if there's one job I don't think I could ever do in terms of medicine would be a dermatologist because I've licked through dermatology books. And, you know, trauma injuries, no big deal. Yep. You know, orthopedic, no big deal. But you get to some of those skin wounds and skin conditions, and it's just not, you know, not pretty. I right. don't know any other word or something. But, <laughs> but you, stuck, you stuck to, the, obviously, the sport-related ones. So. Yes. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that. One of the most common questions I always get from um, people that I <clears throat> interact with, whether it's at a, a weekend basketball game or, or somebody's at the somewhere, uh, we'll start with a blister. When do you recommend leaving this blister, the dead skin, and when do you re- recommend removing it and letting it dry out? What is the kind of thought process from from your background on that? Just a traditional blister. So traditional blister, I always recommend leaving the skin on because for most people, their risk of infection with leaving it off is pretty high unless they are really OCD and keeps it clean, keeps um, any type of modality or uh, fra- like fabric that touches it really clean. Um, but for the most part, if it bothers them because of the tension from the blister, they can pop it um, with a really small needle or have their physician pop it and then always keep the skin on because that protects them. It provides a layer over that really raw area at the blister. And if you tell them to remove it, then you're in at higher risk for all types of infections. And so one of the counter arguments I had heard, and I, I think I was actually taught this, but, you know, so it's a very old school was go ahead. If you're not playing, go ahead and cut the old skin away and expose your, you know, sleep without blankets on your foot and get a fan on it. So that hardens that, that really pink, really raw skin up. You're saying no, I mean, yes, not saying it's going to kill the person, but in best case scenario, lance it, leave the skin intact. And then how long just, just let the skin basically, you know, is there a, is there a time frame that, or just, just lance it and leave it for the, for good until it, you know, basically returns to new skin. Is that what you're saying? I like that lance it and leave it. <laughs> um, <laughs> skin with wind, lance yeah, and leave it. Exactly. We got all kinds of puns today. So the big thing is that what you want is a nice moist area for new skin to grow. And so when you think about opening it up and letting it air out to scab over, great, but you get the scab increases transfer scarring. If you want skin to really heal nicely, you want a moist area that's clean. And so leaving it on, um, leaving that skin on will promote the granulation tissue which is this nice red beefy good tissue that grows back and then a proper skin layer will grow under it um, if it's open and 
back in the day, we did say, leave it open to air, you know, let it air out and dry up. But actually, we talked to a lot of wound care specialists. Most of the time, we want any wound, including a blister, to be covered and clean so that it's moist and it'll grow back properly. And that's that's best practice. You, you, you said it perfectly. We talked to wound care specialists, not, well, I was told or I'd heard. So that kind of is the meat of the, the topic or what you're saying right there. We, we talked to wound care specialists. They recommend leaving the skin intact is what it sounds like. So um, one of the things I noticed in your talk was, you know, the pictures you showed and so many things look so similar <laughs> and yes. it's not our job to des- necessarily diagnose you with a skin condition, obviously, but how do you, what's a good resource that we, you know, yes, we could Google uh, Impetigo. We could Google MRSA individually. Is there a site where it actually goes and discusses things like that? Or how do, how do you recommend we go about recognizing? I mean, there's probably, you know, you talked about how many different types of, of uh, herpes. There's wrestler's herpes or whatever it was you said. And then somebody brought up goat herpes and, and things like that. How do you, how, what's a site that, or a source that really could allow us to visually identify these? Or do you just, do you think, no, just Google them individually? Or what's your recommendation on that? So I don't really have a site that I would, you know, say the general public should go onto to, you know, double check their rash or, you know, uh, for anybody to really check. We do have medical sites like uptodate.com that we use. But really, in general, we have to look at two categories. Um, Does it look like it's going to be a large infection or does it look more like an irritable rash? And that's where it gets important. If it looks more like an allergic reaction, it's itchy, um, but it's not red, beefy, and painful, then for the most part, sure, you can kind of Google raised red lesion or rash. But if it looks red and painful, then it should be looked at by a medical professional because, yeah, like you said, there are so many uh, rashes that look similar and so many spots. So without somebody trained that have seen it multiple times, you can't really rely on looking at something online to really diagnose it. And like I said, repetition of seeing these lesions are the most important things. So it's really seeing it over and over and over again. And I'm still not perfect at all of the rashes. I still get them confused. But in in our profession, we see certain ones over and over, but we don't see these other ones. It's like, well, it kind of looks like this, but, and so we need to recognize, no, I'm not comfortable. We need to refer them. So how do you, What's your recommendation to us as athletic trainers? Because a coach's argument is always going to be, it's just the skin. It's not, you know, come on. It's not a head injury. It's not a joint injury. It's just a skin injury or skin, you know, condition. Why are you holding them out? What is your response to that so that we can have that background backing of, you know, yes, it's just, and, and obviously MRSA or something we know is very, or a spider bite where there's a trauma to, or, you know, necrosis of the of the of the bite but what about the the other injuries that you recommend impetigo and things like that aren't going to get worse through athletics but how do you what do you tell a coach in that case that says it's just a skin skin condition let them why can't they play so i um, tell everybody skin is the largest largest organ in your body So you think about it like your heart, like your kidneys, like your liver. And if you have a cut on your liver, do you play? No. So your skin as an organ being damaged by an infection or a friction um, uh, sore or abrasion should be treated the same way. Um, But the biggest thing with coaches is can can they play? Can they play physically? The one 
caveat you have to say is, sure, they can play, but if their lesion rubs off on your star player and they get the same thing, just because it's a little blister doesn't mean that they won't get a severe infection systemically. So get a fever, hold them back for longer periods of time. So it's protective and it's not fair for other players to put them at risk when another player has this. And so as a coach, a coach will come back and say, well, can't you just cover it? Yeah, what sure. What do you say to that? Yeah, you say, sure, I'll cover it, but what if the bandage falls off? It's not like, you know, they're playing putt-putt and, um, you know, there's no tackling, there's no contact involved. You know, if it's golf, sure, but if it's football, basketball, anything where there's chance for contact, a bandage is not a sure shot um, protective layer. And there are a lot of things that you can put a Band-Aid over, and if there is fluid or discharge, it can seep through, and you can't 100% guarantee that little bit of virus or yeah, bacteria or won't be spread. Yeah. yeah, exactly, it won't yeah. be spread. So changing direction a little bit, because in, in the athletic training room, we use so much antibiotic or ointment, okay? And you might know where I'm heading with this, but the current you know, immunology belief is, is we're contributing to resistant bacteria. So are, from, a, from an opinion side, not a factual side, do you recommend that we continue on? Do we, you know, if we see a rash, do we apply ointment? <clears throat> Is there something else we should be doing? Like maybe, I don't know, I saw, you know, a, a bleach water solution. What, what is your recommendation on that? Because we keep hearing that, you know, bacteria becoming resistant because we're so eager to use antibiotics. Well, what, what is your just, just opinion, not you know, we're not holding you to you, but you know, do you agree with that? Or are you kind of like, well, it's a little bit overblown or yes, I see where it's, what is your thoughts on, on should we apply ointment when we have a rash or have a, 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 a something that we traditionally think of as needing it? So I, I love that question because I have looked at research that shows that um, athletes use antibiotics about two times more than the general population. And so, um, Basically, my opinion is if it looks infectious, then you're way more than um, warranted to use an antibiotic topically. Um, But always try the topical first because there is less systemic effect to it. It just applies right on that area. Um, There are instances where they're like, oh, it's staph, even though it's a little dot. And then (laughs) they need antibiotics, go see the doc. But maybe they need a topical antibiotic, which is not going to affect their gut or their GU tract or, you know, their their upper respiratory system. I think the big thing that I am very against is just like the cough colds and, oh, I'm coming down with something. Doc, can you give me a pack? That's where a lot of the antibiotic resistance occurs. And then also in research, it does show that athletes are getting these um, antibiotics by mouth from cough colds and maybe minor u- urinary tract symptoms. Um, so from the skin perspective, I'm all about using the topical antibiotics if it looks like it's needed. So on that note, there's um, some, and this is even when I was early in my career, there was talk about neomycin. So we shouldn't be used, you know, it wasn't don't use it. It was kind of argued or like trying to avoid the triple antibiotic ointment because of neomycin. Is that still a concern of of a reaction from that? Or is it, are you comfortable with, because, you know, we, when we order our supplies, you go online and you can get Neom or triple antibiotic ointment for a dollar a tube, you know, and sometimes there's polymycin things like that, and so it's a little more expensive. What is your thought process on 
the triple antibiotic or, you know, I guess indirectly the neomycin, is it a concern for us or, or do we just, are you comfortable with just regular old triple antibiotic? Um, so neomycin or the triple antibiotic, um, if you're using it for one to three days, then that's fine. Anything greater than three days and there's no improvement or there's um, actual increased signs of infection, it's not working. So it's it's not a bad, um, you know, something that's there. It's affordable to have as long as you're not really using it for more than three days. Because at that three-day mark, uh, I know with some of the brand name triple antibiotics over the counter, the chemicals and the preservatives actually increase just the uh, redness of the area. Although it's not infected, it's just irritated by those chemicals and, and the it looks preservatives. More infected. Exactly. While, but it's really not. Okay. So we're gonna go old wives' tale, and I know that's not the right term now, but uh, um, a you know traditional thought: you have a boil on your leg or a boil on your back, you put a heat pack on it. I have never once seen a heat pack draw out the boil. What is your recommendation on that? Does it work? And I could be wrong. I've just never seen it. So it's the same concept as um, if you have a sty on your eye, right? You want to draw out this this pus, this irritant. Um, it, it's not like it doesn't work, but it doesn't work fast. So it feels good. It kind of helps um, give that area some warmth, warmth some comfort, but having the warmth there will increase the vas vasculature and so it will push inflammatory markers to that area and technically should draw out any fluid in the area over of the boil time. over time yeah. so I, th I think the belief is you put it on there and it's supposed to go away no and that's clearly i mean you've got a whole cascade of events that have to happen from the heat so exactly it takes yeah. several days okay so one thing you talked, you mentioned in your talk, and it was I was curious on this, is you said, we talked about fungus. Uh, you talked about fungus a little bit. You said that fungus on the scalp requires oral antifungals. What's the difference with the scalp versus a traditional ringworm somewhere else or whatever? So um, there are different, we call it mostly tinea, which is the category of fungus infections of the scalp and um, body, foot, and then the jock groin region. And the tinea class that affects the scalp tends to be a little bit more resistant to topical. And that's the main reason why. It's, so It's just the classification falls in is just has a higher resistance. So it's exactly. not that it's there and it's dangerous to use it. It's just that that, that classification is more resistant. Okay. Exactly. And then just the way that it penetrates into the scalp layers, it tends to need just a stronger um, agent to get it, get rid of it. Um, and I don't know the exact pathophysiology of that, but similar to like nails, the nail fungus, the onychomycosis. So because of how thick and rough that nail bed is, it takes a stronger amount of antifungal to actually penetrate that area. So it would be treated Versus on the skin, it's a little bit um, thinner. Okay. On that, along those lines, I'm going to ask you, it's not a, it's not a, you're not endorsing a product, but there's different uh, antifungals out there. And I know one that we commonly use is tenactin. And tenactin, if you read the, if I remember right, you read the label, it says use six, for eight, use six to eight weeks, okay? There's also things like Lotrimin. Do you have a, a, just for a general, somebody has a little, you know, maybe athlete's foot, maybe has jock itch. Is there one that you recommend over another or do you really think all of them are the same or what, do you, what is your opinion on that? 
Most of them are very similar, the ones that are over-the-counter. Um, the generics tend to be like clitrimazole or terbenafine. Um, it does take six to eight weeks. So, you know, any of them tend to be fine. And it's a trial and error. It depends on the person, too. And so if that person has this type of tinea that's a little bit more resistant to terbenafine, which it's not like bacterial resistance, it just might not help it as much as the other we flip it and try something else but yeah uh, usually i say lotrimin um lamisil anything with an l tends to work pretty well um but there you yeah. go another pun if yeah. it has an l it works really well <laughs> there we go. i like that yeah but in general, there's not one specific. If it's over the counter, they basically have the same uh, uh, efficacy. So we're gonna again shift topics. So All right. um, we're gonna talk about um, I can't think of the right term, but uh, unusual treatments in the treatment of skin wounds and or skin conditions. Okay, um, I went to I, my daughter had a little growth on the top of her foot called my GP, sent him a picture of it. He's like, yeah, I think it's such and such. And he, he said, go to see a dermatologist. Sent her there. She actually, I still remember it. She looked, she leaned over, she looked at it. She had some papers in her hand. She kind of put them against her chest and leaned back. And she said, you're going to, you're going to think I'm crazy when you, when I tell you to do this. That's a wart. I want you to go to the store. I want you to buy some duct tape. I want you to put duct tape on it, change the duct tape every six days on one day off. Another example, and I can't remember the name of it. It's the, it's the skin ointment it's kind of blue. It's and you're supposed to put it on your toenails for toe fungus. What is your belief? And I, I don't. I want you to say they're bad or good. I just say you know if you're and be honest. If you're saying yeah, I don't see much success with those. I really think you need to see a physician. I did the um, to give you an example. I did the duct tape. It was kind of fun. My daughter thought it was cool. Um, it it didn't really work. And then I realized they have. Um, uh, uh, I can't remember compound W and it's on a, it's got salicylic on a, on actual bandaid. The duct tape didn't really work. The, the salicylic, just the little, it's a little, it looks almost like a little gel dot in the middle of the bandaid you put it on. It worked great. I have runner's toe or jog. I don't like the word jogger's toe. Cause we're not joggers. We're runners, but I have like three or four joggers toes. I put that, I can't remember the name of the cream. It's not, it's like, it's like Flexol, but it's a different brand. It's in a little blue, short, small tube. Um, if you said it, I'm I know it, it's very, it's got a lot of, uh, uh, you know, it burns when you put it on. I can't remember the term name of it. But anyway, I, I, had, I remember from when I was a student, they said, oh, this is good for, for uh, toe fungus. Didn't do a thing. Have you ever had a successful non-traditional product that works as good as medicine, traditional medicine? I mean, uh, uh, you know, medication, or are you pretty much like, look, you can try those, but I think you should just do this. What's your opinion on that? So I think, hey, anything's worth a shot. As if it doesn't work, then we have medicine to back it up. Um, so funny thing with the duct tape, the concept is you're suffocating the virus or the wart. And so that's why you're doing the duct tape. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a fun thing. You can totally do it, but it probably won't help because the wart was there for a reason because they're stubborn. Um, and it's icy hot. That's what it was. I couldn't think oh, of it. Oh, plain icy, icy hot. hot. Oh, yeah. I didn't hear Google that. Google icy hot toenail fungus and you'll find what I'm talking about. You think I'm crazy, but... But so there are certain things like tea tree oil actually has been shown to be helpful with fungal infections, with... Um, 
actually like immune system too. Some people put a couple drops on their tongue to help get better when they have a cold. Just because every medication that we use stemmed from likely a plant. And so those tricks, it doesn't hurt to try as long as it's not harmful. Um, one thing I really like is like Manuka honey or plain old like safe raw honey for wounds. It's really protective. It's antimicrobial. So it doesn't allow bacteria to seep through. And for really big wounds, sometimes that's something we put on so that, yeah. So it's, it keeps the area nice and moist and then protective of bacteria. Um, but yeah, I, I really am open to multiple like agents for treatment. Um, maybe because my background, I do look into a little bit of alternative medicine, complementary medications and such. And I'm as anti-medication as possible when you don't need it. So yeah, I'm more conservative on that aspect. So I, I uh, want to thank you for your time. I, you've answered the questions I had. I was actually hoping to really pick your brain. I think I got a chance to from, from an expert. So um, I hope the listeners at home uh, got something out of this as well. This was uh, skin with win. Uh, I, I love the pun Mr. Awesome. Jackson came up with. And so, you're, of course, you're going to go around work now and say that. You yeah. know, if you have a question, have them call skin with win. But, I know. They'll um, think I'm a dermatologist, which I'm not. I don't want to fake as a dermatologist. I'm a family medicine, medicine and oh, sports for, medicine. Okay, I was going to say sports medicine trained. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, and, you know, we have our area, but it's like we said, so much of our area is very specific to athletics. You right. Know, we know we can recognize jock itch and a blister, but we need to know when those other things sneak up, impetigo versus MRSA and things like that. So I want to thank you for your time. So on behalf of Jeremy Jackson, this is Mark Knobloch, and I want to thank you for uh, joining us today for uh, this episode of the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Thank you.